0: The Independence Exeter City Podcast. This is Grecian Talk with Ollie Heptinstall, Paul Martin, and Paul Sussex.
1: Welcome to this week's Grecian Talk, the independent Exeter City podcast. I'm Ollie Heptonstall and, uh, with me, uh, once again, uh, is, uh, XWeb's Paul Sussex and, uh, my soccer site co-commentator Paul Martin. On this week's show, we'll discuss, uh, yesterday's fine 4-2 win at the Kassam Stadium, Oxford 2. Exeter Four. We'll have some season expectations from some city fans who us hand spoke to yesterday. Um, we'll also have an interview with Ex Weber Stephen Chudley, who stood for election to the Trust's Board of Society, and we'll also discuss League Two and look ahead to Exeter's game with York next week at St James's Park. That's all coming up on Grecian Talk. Right then. Um, before we get into the discussion of yesterday's four-two. Win at the Kassam Stadium. We've got a match report from AFM's uh, Mark Briggs with a summary of events from the Casam.
0: Today's game was watched by 6,405 fans, and the ones in red and white were bouncing throughout. Exeter started in their usual manner by defending a very attacking Oxford side. As always, a goal settles any nerves, and Jamie Hurren was the man to hit a wonder strike on 11 minutes. A shot from the edge of the D flew past Ryan Clark, the Oxford goalkeeper. The Exeter fans were in full voice as a controversial corner was given Exeter's way. A great delivery from Matt Oakley found Scott Bennett's head to put the Grecians 2-0 up on 27 minutes. Exeter held off a few Oxford half chances and went in at half-time with a two-goal cushion. The second half started pretty much the same as the first, but again it was Jamie Curriton who was in the right place at the right time. He got behind Oxford's defence and slotted the ball under the keeper on 50 minutes. Paul Tisdale then took him off five minutes later before he had a chance for a hat-trick. Oxford were awarded a penalty for a Craig Woodman foul on Damian Bat. Paul Sarkovsky stepped up for the use and sent Artur the wrong way, making it 3-1. This gave Oxford fans some hope and the team some momentum. On 63 minutes, Alfie Potter got past a warren-looking Exeter defence and scored. To Exeter's credit, they defended very well at 3-2 and Artur pulled off some stunning saves. Oxford began to lose their momentum they built up, and on 75 minutes, John O'Flynn gave them exactly what they needed to wrap up the three points. He found a gap in Oxford's defence and rolled the ball past Ryan Clark. Things then went from bad to worse for Oxford as substitute James Constable was given a second yellow card and sent to the change rooms. That rounded off another great win for Exeter, particularly another great away win. Full-time at the Castellan Stadium, and it finished Oxford United 2, Exeter City 4.
1: Okay, and Hans, uh, you were at the match yesterday. Uh, What was your thoughts on the game? Who stood out for you? Um, I think there were a few players.
2: Liam Serkin was probably my man of the match, particularly for his work rate in the second half. Um, I thought Oakley uh, looked after the middle of the field extremely well. Curiton's got a brace, I mean that was brilliant, Uh, and uh, (laughs) O'Flynn, whilst not a perfect um, game, did uh, a lot of excellent work running around, you know, effectively he was our defender, but defending right from the front and keeping um, the Oxford uh, defenders busy.
1: Yeah, um, Jamie Curiton, 37 years old, Paul, he looked like a 17-year-old yesterday.
3: Yeah, he did that turn of pace for his second goal where he just sort of flicked around the defender and just completely outpaced him. I mean, it's pretty embarrassing for the defender really to be skinned like that by a man 37 years old. But yeah, he's, he's always been sort of, he's always had that pace in his game. And I remember in his, well, his sort of first spell at City and when he had the prolific season a couple of years ago, I remember thinking how quick he was for a man of his age. And it looks like that he's carried that on into this year, which is great. Yeah, and, uh, Alan Gow um, yesterday showed that we
1: aren't overly reliant on the maestro Paul
3: yeah it did that was good to see as well because obviously when the team news came through and Gal wasn't playing it was a bit I think everyone's expectations were dampened a little bit and we wondered whether we'd be able to cope without him but well four goals away from home showed that we definitely can and with people like O'Flynn being able to step in like that play really well and get his name on the score sheet shows that there is more to Mexico City than Alan Gal and obviously they're probably a better side with him in it but they can cope without him as well which over a long, hard season it's good that they can prove that they can do that
1: Yeah, that's excellent and uh, Craig Woodman, he gave away a soft penalty yesterday Uh, Hans, what did you think of his overall performance and the performance of our defence in general?
2: Craig didn't have um the best of games. Um I'm not sure actually I think in any of the games we've seen the the best of him yet. Penalty was a bit soft. Um it was it was right that it was a penalty. Um but there again a bit later on he managed to get uh constable sent off. I have to say You know, it was on the opposite side of the pitch from us. I did wonder whether um, Craig Woodman was about to be sent off because no one was quite sure what the free kick was about. But I think it might have been Constable um, giving Woodman an elbow and that's why he got his second yellow end off. But, yeah, um, overall on the defence... When we when it was three two, I thought they were very 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 nervous, Um, but there again, those of us in the stands were very very nervous as well. We went very quiet for those um, fifteen minutes before we got it back to uh, four two. So I I still think there are some issues about the defence. It's a bit strange when you kind of consider we've had quite a lot of um, clean sheets recently. That um, I still think that. we can be exploited uh through the defense i mean oxford yesterday i mean we laughed at some some of their um, attacking it was um, some of it was just sewing out but um i think that kind of helped our defense and our defense were working together so you know there was always backup there um, there's always going to be a struggle to get through and uh, i think the only way to get through was as it was you know with the penalty and i think that lifted their spirits a bit but one constable went off. Um, their spirits dropped enormously, and I think they just couldn't wait to get to the final wizard. So.
1: Yeah, and Scott Bennett—he's a big player, isn't he? In between the defence and midfield, um, Paul, should we should we, uh, should we be worried that we uh, may lose Scotty in January?
3: Um, well if if he keeps up the form that he's in at the moment then he'll definitely have people looking at him because he's still obviously a young player, he's still got a lot still sort of got potential to become even better than he's playing at the moment. But I think that Exeter will be able to hold on to him for at least this year, because he is still relatively untried. I mean he played a few games in League One last year, but not too many, and then I think he's done well this year to sort of consolidate his place in the side. He's still a very young player and it's good to see a local dad like him coming through and playing so well. I think they should be able to get this season out of him, but if he keeps his form up, then he could well be, as we were talking about last week, he could be the next one off to sort of convey a belt of ex that he players that move on.
1: Yeah, and uh, John Flynn, he's playing much better this season, isn't he? Uh, Hans, do you think he's sharper than last season, or has he got more confidence? Um, I think Flynn is very much a
2: confidence player. I think yesterday would do him an enormous amount of good, and I think particularly the way he took his goal. I mean, I think I um, felt a bit nervous whether he could actually put it away. Um, I think a lot of us don't have an awful lot of faith in Flynn, even though we want him to do well, and I was half expected him to, um, to not score at that moment, and it was important that we did because we were feeling it a bit from uh, Oxford and very nervous, and it was important that we got that next. Goal, but yeah, he took that goal well. Um, like I said earlier, he uh, he had a good day yesterday, and I think that'll do him an enormous amount of good.
1: Yeah, it was a fine win, wasn't it? And we'll look ahead to uh, Saturday's uh, game against York uh, later on in the show. But for now, we're going to move on. And uh, Hans, yesterday you spoke to some City fans before the match and asked them where they think City will end up.
4: hi I am with Richard. What are your expectations for Exeter City this season, and Richard? I think we do very well. I think minimum the playoffs. Okay. Owen, what are your expectations? Well, after the start we've had, um, I'm quietly confident. Obviously, the problem with the game is not so good, but last year results pushing towards playoffs.
2: All right, now with Nathan, what are your expectations for Exeter City this season? Uh,
4: personally, I think we we've got enough to to go for the playoffs. In, in my view, this season, I think has made some tracking on Um you know, providing we can keep everyone fit and in shape but I don't think playoffs is an unrealistic target. Okay.
2: Harry, what are your thoughts? I
4: reckon right, playoffs for uh automatic. We've got a strong squad, great attack input, ready to score loose goals. Andy, uh playoffs. so pure and guy get fit, mid get injured. Liam? I reckon playoffs would be a good way to go up because a trip to Wembley would be uh, ideal. Perhaps a pretty uh, talky uh, playoff uh, final at Wembley. Okay, thank you.
2: Hi, right, numbers we've got it's torn, it? it's, uh, just coming by train
3: from Munich. Okay Steve, what do you think
2: uh, the season will for the city this season?
4: My expectations for the season, um, definitely won't struggle, but at the same time, I do, I do think we'll miss to up the, table, up, up, up the table and then possibly a playoff first. I don't think we'll be automatic promotion, that nice to be proved wrong, but playoff a bonus first, but I'll be happy with nice 10th
1: okay and apologies for the slightly dodgy sound quality it was quite busy in that pub wasn't it hans
2: it was a great pub um great choice it was beautiful weather i think most of us um probably a bit more suntan than uh, we expected to good beer good price um and we were all in with uh, the oxford fans, so it was uh, a good
1: good spirit good atmosphere and the kassam stadium it never um fails to uh deliver does it i wish we could play there more often really (laughs) Excellent day out, I'm sure. And uh, after yesterday's win, um, where do we think City will finish? Um, Paul, we'll start with you. Is top three a, a realistic aim?
3: Uh, I'm still still going to maintain, I think, that it's still a bit too early on in the season to sort of predict things like that. But uh, having said that, with every game, I'm getting more and more confident that top three could be realistic. I mean, they've come through some difficult away fixtures after the, obviously, the opening day disappointment. And, I mean, it's the goals being scored as well that's a really promising thing. After last year, when we had all those games where away from home where we didn't even score, and to have scored, I think, nine in the three away games so far, I mean, it's just a complete opposite from last year. And so with every game, I'm growing in confidence and thinking that they might well be able, to, if they can keep this up anyway, they might well be able to mount a realistic top three charge. Yeah,
1: and uh, um, Hans, what do you think of it? This feels so different from the last time we were
2: in League Two and got promoted, because I don't think we had that as an expectation probably until the last two or three games. And, uh, you know, we were singing yesterday, um, you know, about uh, going up. It really is too early to tell, but you know carry on like this. Um, I don't see that it's a problem there. Um, even some of the good teams like Oxford are not that great. so you know keep on with the quality of our um, of our football and I think yeah we should be there in the top three rather than even the playoffs.
1: Yeah it's quite a quite a gap isn't it between leagues one and two Paul are you are you in a way pleased that we're not languishing down the bottom of League one again this season?
3: Well, it's making an enjoyable change, that's for sure, because the amount of games last year where they were just, well, from a commentary point of view, they just weren't very exciting to talk about, really. There were quite a few goalless draws and pretty uneventful defeats and things like that. It's good to actually be in the habit of winning games and scoring goals. So, from that point of view, then, uh, yeah, I'm glad in a way that they've gone down the division. the side of it, I guess, is that you miss out on playing sort of the bigger teams and the bigger crowds and everything like that. Although, again, on the other side of that, um, if they keep on this winning run, then the crowds will come back to St. James Park and they'll have some decent-sized crowds again, no matter what league is in. A winning team gets decent crowds. So I think, hopefully, as long as they can keep this up, then, yeah, I'm glad that they, in a way, that they have dropped down their division. Yeah, and
1: uh, Hans, what do you think about the Exeter Chiefs? Is their success down to uh, the slight... Um, well, quite a considerable actually fall in attendances at the park, or is it more um, our performances in the league?
2: Um, I don't think so. I think the decrease in attendance is um, it's down to being in League Two, and I think people struggle financially uh, at the moment. Um, I have to say I take no notice of uh, Exeter Chiefs. I'm much more of a probably a Harlequins person than uh, Exeter.
1: <laughs> Alright then, we're gonna move on now, and uh, in the week, Hans, you spoke to uh, City fan and ex-weber Stephen Chudley, who has stood for election to uh, the Trust Board of Society. Grecian Talk.
2: We have on the line yep. with us this evening, um, is Stephen Chudley, who has stood for the Trust Board. Uh, many ex-webers will know Stephen as uh, Log. Um, so, I'll just question him about why he stood for the trust uh, and uh, what he's about and what he hopes to achieve. Evening, Steve. Hiya. Um, right. So, when did you, basically who are you? You know, what's your your biography and when did you start supporting Exeter?
4: Um, I can't remember a huge amount about when I first started going, but it was when I was about five or six. So, it would have been just over thirty years ago. Um, Used to go with the dad. Used to sit in the old grandstand. Um, I carried on going with him for several years. He stopped going more regularly, and then I would go with a neighbour who was a season ticket holder um, until I was old enough to be trusted to go on my own with, or with friends, really. And I've just kept on going back ever since. About me, I'm just a normal person, really. There's nothing particularly exciting about me. Um, I live in Bristol. Um, been here for about three years. working in financial services. I moved up here because of a job opportunity. Um, Before that, I'd lived in Exeter for pretty much all of my life, um, except when I was away at university. Obviously, with the football, I still travel back down to Exeter regularly, see family and friends as well whilst I'm there, but football comes first, of course.
2: Right, okay. I I mean, you weren't someone that I'd I'd really thought about as someone that would stand for the trust or get involved in committees and so on. So what was it that made you... Come in, come forward, put your name forward and uh, stand for the trust.
4: Well, you're right, really. I mean, up until fairly recently, I was just a a normal fan, go along for the football and the social side of of, of things, you know, go for a drink before and afterwards. Um, But in the last couple of years, I've become a lot more interested in how the clubs run, how the trust is run and how the two sort of interact. Um, I think, like everybody, I'd like the, the club and the trust to to be safe and secure in the future, and obviously to grow and for us to be successful, and I'd like to do a bit more to contribute towards that. So I thought, well, what better way than to, to stand for election to the board of society?
2: I think there's a there's a lot of people that have given a lot of consideration, I would guess, to standing for the um, board of society or the trust board. Um, and I think one is, you know, whether they can make the commitment, um, but also I think there's, um, could they make a difference? Do you think you can make a difference?
4: I certainly hope so. I won't be doing it otherwise. Um, you're right, though. It is a big commitment, and um, it's, I think you know it's going to be a very, very steep learning curve for me. There's a, a lot that I don't know. There's a lot that I don't know I don't know. Um, so there's going to be a huge amount to take in. But it's something I'm really looking forward to. Um, really looking forward to getting a piece stuck into it. See how how the whole thing works. Um, you've probably read my manifesto, and that outlines the kind of things that I'd like to try to try to contribute towards Um, I think there's a lot of areas that are already being looked looked at that we probably don't know about but at the same time I've got to go into it with my own and to be realistic about what is actually going to be achievable
2: I, I should imagine what's achievable is probably one of the, um, the biggest things. It's, it's the two bits. It's, uh, there, there are a lot of frustrations. Um, the club have had a pretty awful pre-season. Um, you know, the obvious being the catering. You know, can you sit on the trust board and say, you know, what's, what's happening? Do you think, do you think you can have that conversation or do you think that's going to be sidelined?
4: I don't honestly know um I would like to think so. Um, that's what the trust is there for to ask those kind of questions so i, I would I would hope that, that those kind of opportunities are there, and if they aren't, then I would perhaps like to know why they aren't there
2: okay i mean it's it's interesting looking at conversations going on on x web, and i I feel that conversation's about. The trust has dropped quite considerably in the last months. Perhaps since the uh, call for the SGM, there seems to be a lot of disengagement between members and the trust board. There seems to be um, it just doesn't seem to be connected particularly. There doesn't seem to be a dialogue. There doesn't seem to be a conversation. There doesn't seem to be. Where do we go next? You know, we've got relegated, you know, finances are pretty tight. We've got a £30,000 loan that we want the club to pay back to um, the trust. Then there's a thing about donations versus um, loans in terms of, you know, our subscriptions. Um, Do you think there's a problem between the um, trust and the membership? Well, I think there's always room for improvement. That doesn't just go for the
3: trust.
4: It goes for any kind of organisation. Um, you 're right there I think you know communication is is so important to engaging the membership from the trust point of view it 's something I think that they do recognize and in my my personal opinion, the communication has improved recently, and I know that they 've got um, someone on board to help them with that kind of thing at the same time. I think that the trust does come in for a lot of criticism, but if they were to blow their trumpet a little bit more about all the good work that 's going on behind the scenes, people might realize that they 're not just um, they're not just sat there being the, the talking shop that people often accuse them of being. There are actually real achievements that are going on, but perhaps they need to look at not just <clears throat> what they're communicating, but how they're communicating it as well. Um, one of the big things I'd like, and it was in my manifesto, would be to for the trust to make a, a far greater use of the skills of the membership. There are 4,000-odd members there, and I'm sure that each one of them would have something to offer to one extent or another not only would it engage the membership a little more, it would also have the benefit of reducing the burden that's on the trustees at the moment. So I don't really see any any sort of downside to using the skills that are there. So that's something I'd like to push forward, perhaps more than anything.
2: Okay, yeah, that sounds uh, good. I mean, there's a lot of IT skills out there. There's a lot of accountancy, project management, uh, and so mm. on. Okay, um, that's great, Steve, that you spoken to us. Um the the trust AGM will be on the Saturday, 6th of October, which is um, before the Port Vale game. Um, so many people can come along and uh, speak to you and say hello to you. Then,
4: of course, yes. I don't know if they will know who I am, so I don't know whether I'll have to wear a wear a recarnation or wear a name badge or something. But I'll certainly be there and be more than happy to speak to anybody.
2: Right. Okay. That's excellent, Steve. Thanks so much for your time. Cheers.
1: Okay. Thanks very much to Hans and uh, Stephen for that interview and. Uh, on our website, Grishantalk.co.uk, we'll have a link to Stephen's um, manifesto, so you can have a look at that on there. Right then, we're going to move on now and uh, discuss League Two. It was another <laughs> eventful day in League Two yesterday in the uh, Vale Park. What a result that was for Port Vale 6-2 against Rotherham United. Um, what a fine job Mickey Adams is doing at Port Vale, given the uh, troubles overshadowing the club pool.
3: Yeah, he's an experienced manager. He's been there before. He knows what he's doing around that level, and yeah, he's done really well for them. They start the season well. And I mean, yesterday, putting Rotherham to the sword like that, as we've been talking about in previous weeks, Rotherham were amongst the favourites to go up. But Port Vale, they were 4-0 up inside half an hour, I think. And then Tom Pope, their striker, got 4. It was a great day for them. And yeah, I mean, they're another one that you've got to uh, sort of keep an eye on as promotion candidates, I think.
1: Yeah, fantastic result there um, Rotherham though, Hans they're playing so well at their new ground at the New York Stadium that they don't like leaving it uh, Quite possibly I would have um, would not have liked to have been a
2: Rotherham player I think at the end of 90 minutes um, with uh, Steve or Steve Evans would have said to them I understand they've got a, an extra extra training session <laughs> today um, to try to deal with what happened yesterday but 6-2 I mean, it's quite a shock
1: yeah, and uh, Bristol Rovers, they're yes, um, struggling out there down at the bottom. Tool draw. They could uh, scrape a tool draw with shot yesterday. Um Paul, is Mark McGee on borrowed time already at Rovers?
3: Well, yeah, I think so. We talked about this last week and it was only a, um, last minute equaliser yesterday that got them that point and I think that'll only be a sort of brief respite for him because they, they do expect to be in a higher league than they're in at the moment and they don't even look like mounting a challenge to get out of it. And after the disappointments last year of Paul Buckle's failed reign there, then um, I think they might well call for Mark McGee's head as well, particularly if they don't pick up on the next couple of games. However, the difficulty is which man is is out there to um, actually get them out of this league? I mean, they've tried Paul Buckle and now Mark McGee, neither of them have worked. Will anyone actually want to go and take that job if the fans' expectations remain high?
1: Well, yeah, it seems to be a bit of a poison chalice, doesn't it, Ants?
2: It does. I'm not really sure why Bristol Rovers um, have not been successful. They've got a lot more resources than most of the League 2 teams. Uh, I should imagine the fans really are
1: very disappointed with Mark McGee and uh, the players. What do Aldershot fans make to their start of the season? Because I hear you uh, mix with quite a few of them.
2: Uh, They're very disappointed. Quite a few of them calling for Dean Holdsworth to go, Um, poor tactics, poor player selection, uh, and so on. And most of them, I'm really surprised that Guy uh went on loan to Plymouth this week, because one of their problems is scoring goals, you know, the um, 0-0 against us on Tuesday. Um, Though I think that result was... uh, extremely pleasing to them. It may only be the J.P.T., but um, it's the first result that they've had since Plymouth on the opening day of the season. Um, so yesterday's result was quite good, but I think they still remain very ha- happy with, uh, with with Dean Holdsworth. Um, and I think he needs to do something special to um, get them back on. But they had this last year. This seems a bit of deja vu, that it took a little while for uh, Oldshot to get going. Um, and they had a reasonable season once... Um, They've got got themselves sorted out.
1: Rochdale 0, Burton 1, there at Scotland yesterday. Um, Paul, I know it's early in the season, but is John Coleman, another manager, in danger of the sack?
3: Uh, I'm not sure he's as in danger of someone like Mark at Bristol Rovers, simply because the expectation levels of the fans of Rochdale aren't quite as high. I mean, they had so many years at this level before they gained promotion, and obviously they didn't last too long in League One. So I think this is kind of their level. And they won't be too despondent, I don't think, with where they are. I mean, they haven't had a great start to the season, obviously. They're down in 16th, looking at it now. But Coleman's only recently gone there. I think he went there from Accrington, if I remember right. And I think they'll give him some time to try and steer them out of this league eventually again. But I think, at the moment, he'll be okay for the time being. Okay, and uh, Barnett won
1: Gillingham 3. They were Underhill yesterday. Uh, Hans, are Gillingham the real deal, or will they fall into the playoff mix? I think for the moment
2: we'd have to decide describe Gillingham as the real deal. They've they've done well. Um, desperate for them to draw or lose yesterday, so we could have the honour of being top of the table. But um, it wasn't to be. Um, they've had a better start than us. Um, be interesting when we come to meet them um, in a couple of months time. But I think they 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 deserve to be there. I think I'm changing my opinion from from the first show where I I thought that Gillingham would struggle this season.
1: Yeah, um, 20th of November that game is on Tuesday night at Priestfield Stadium, Exeter against Gillingham. That's sure to be an interesting occasion. Um, uh, Paul, Barnet just one point now from their first five games. Do they have any hope of escaping relegation this season?
3: Uh, well, based on their start to the season, you say no, but then again, they're tipped to go down every year, and they look like they're going to go down every year until about 10 minutes from the end of the season when they somehow manage to scrape together a goal or two to get them out of it. They're a bit like the Wigan of League Two in that sort of respect. Everyone tips them to go down, and they find their way out but this year I think looks as if it might be different it could, their time might be up I think they've got some big games coming up just having a look they've got Bradford and Aldershot both of whom again haven't started the season particularly well so they'll look to pick up some points from there but I mean the longer this winless run goes on then the more you'd expect them just to be falling away at the bottom of the table
1: okay and uh, Torquay nil Plymouth nil at uh, Playmore yesterday Um Hans not you surprised that Torquay couldn't win that one?
2: I was expecting them to win. Um, I, I, I think, as we said last week, that um, Derby games never really go to form. Um, I should imagine Torquay will be most disappointed and Plymouth getting a point at Torquay. I think
1: their fans will be uh, ecstatic. Paul, how do you think um, they'll both fare this season?
3: Uh, I think Torquay will fare the better of the two. I think they could well be... So sort of, uh, they could mount a playoff charge I think Plymouth I think will be mid-table they, I don't think they're going to be sort of bad enough to go down I think they'll be around where they were where they are at the moment really, 17th-ish that'll probably be their position in Torquay currently in 11th, I think that might be a pretty accurate representation of where they'll finish I think
1: Yeah, so you both agree then that Exeter will be uh, top dog in Devon this season? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Okay, right then. We'll look ahead to uh, Saturday's game in uh, York now and, uh, uh, Hans, your thoughts ahead of that one? I think it's a game you're attending.
2: Yep, I'm uh, absolutely looking forward to it. Uh, my first game of the season down at St. James's Park. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing John Challoner play. Um, he's been coming on as a uh, substitute it seemed to work yesterday because York got a 90th minute equaliser to gain a point in front of over 5,000 people at Booth and Crescent I think they're enjoying life back in the uh, Football League they'll be well out for this one this is kind of a, an old traditional Division 4 game um, kind of a traditional conference game as well between us and there's been some great games between them between us uh, over the years uh, I think it'll be um, one of those classic games whether we can win it's um you know is ours superb run going to come to an end or york the ones that uh, could end that one
1: think yeah, it's gonna be a, a good game isn't it um paul your thoughts out of that one A comfortable win for city do you think
3: Uh, I hope so because I'll be celebrating my 18th birthday next Saturday so hopefully City will get a victory to help cut that one off and uh, I think they will be able to manage it as well. I mean, York, you've always got to be wary playing the sort of promoted sides because they're still carrying that momentum from coming up and York have made a fairly decent start to the season but Exeter with home advantage, with the run that they're on I think they should have enough to get past York and keep this great run going.
1: Okay, right, that's uh, just about it for uh, this week's edition of Grecian Talk. I'll just uh, point you in the direction of our website, greciantalk.co.uk. Do please let you know what you think of the show, what would you like uh, added um, to the show on the uh, contact um, button at the top of the page. Just click that and then let us know what you think of the show. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Grecian Talk, and you can also find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash Grecian talk. Thank you very much to uh, Paul Martin and Paul Sussex uh, for their company this week and thank you for listening. The music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. His website is